Michael O'Reilly, and you're listening to Beyond Notes from L Live Productions, a podcast for musicians, people that hire musicians, and music lovers everywhere. We'll peel back the layers of the music industry and find out what lies beyond the notes. everybody it's friday night and this is live with l live welcome to beyond notes i'm your host michael o'reilly and my very special guest today uh there's a long list to to read here because he does many many things so i had to write it down he does so many things uh he is uh, a guitar player first and foremost he's also a guitar builder a luthier he sings he's a dj he's also a teacher and he's a band leader. And I just found out just a minute ago how to properly pronounce his name. Please welcome to the sh- show, Mr. Joe Filippo. Hey, all right, yes. Michael Riley. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me. It's yes. so nice to have you. I'm so excited to have you on the show, man. Me and, too. Uh, the pleasure is mine. Those of us that know you well call you Joe P. Mm-hmm. Which I always thought is the coolest name anyway to have, you know, just, just Joe P. Well, Joe F. doesn't have any kind of ring to it. That's what I mean. Yeah, Joe P. has like this pizzazz, you know. It's like, you know Joe P.? Oh, yeah, man, I work with Joe P. Yeah. So, uh, great, man, great. And you are currently in, um, let me get this. I'm in Indianapolis, Indiana. And that's where you're from originally, right? Right, that's where I'm from originally. Indianapolis, Carmel, Indiana, more specifically, is the town. It's uh, maybe 20 minutes uh, north of Indianapolis, um, yeah, about 20 or 30 minutes north of Indianapolis downtown. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. And I love the uh, the room that you're in. I love the mm-hmm. setup. I can see that we're going to definitely have to talk about guitars this episode for sure. Oh, yeah. the, uh, the name of the episode is The Road to Versatility because you do so many different things. And, of course, I want to... I want to touch on each and each and every one of those, but uh, I love the uh, I love the background, man. It looks the that's your studio. This is the studio. That's right. Um, the top row are the uh, avant-garde guitars, and the other side are just more 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 backstock. And uh, it's inspiring to wake up every morning and see this. I'm not gonna lie. Doesn't mean I'm getting any more work finished than just because I have a fancy studio doesn't make me any more prolific. I'm still procrastinating <laughs> on laying tracks down and it's still the same struggle, but at least it looks cool. It's nice, but it is nice to have a nice work environment, really. Isn't it, as a musician, uh, just to, to go into a space that's yours and uh, mm-hmm. have all your tools there. I see you've got a really nice microphone there you're speaking into now. That's right. I've got a Rode NT2A. It kind of comes with me everywhere. It's something I think every uh, musician should have. Some case, On the very basic level, some kind of portable recording rig. We travel all the time uh, with Live. I'm out 50 weeks a year. And even though I might not be able to take 30 guitars with me on the road, I still take the necessities to be able to record, whether it be tracks or produce or make podcasts or sing, record instruments. And having a good mic is uh, is really help, really comes in handy. Absolutely, man. It's a good point. So let's, I mean, there's so much to talk about, but let's start uh, from the beginning. When I think of... Uh... Indianapolis, uh, I think of uh, West Montgomery. Isn't he, isn't oh, he from yeah. there? Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. You're not the only one that thinks of West Montgomery. Okay. Actually, it's the yeah. only thing I think about when I think okay. of Indianapolis. Okay, right, right. Uh, yeah, you know. West Montgomery, Freddie Hubbard. I was fortunate enough to study for uh, a couple of years at Indiana University with David Baker when he was still there. 
A lot of people don't realize Indianapolis has a, a very rich tradition in jazz. Uh, even before West Montgomery, uh, in, the, in the bebop era in the 30s and the 40s, uh, there was uh, a section of town, the Indiana Avenue, and it was one of the stops that all the people came through. Charlie Parker was here, Dizzy Gillespie, everybody came through Indianapolis. And uh, there was a point where there was on the street, there was, it was just every other, every, every venue had a, had a band. And so the musicians would just jump in between and sit in with each other on their breaks. And it was a very vibrant scene at the time. Wow, it must've been something, man. It must've been yeah. something. So I think that that's where we start. I mean, you, uh, uh, originally got into music got into it was jazz then if i'm not mistaken right playing jazz and and uh studying jazz jazz guitar player mm -hmm. when, when you first began well when i first began i can tell you i i pretty much pinpointed how it all started i was seven and it was 1989 and appetite for destruction came out and i saw slash and that was like the coolest thing ever and it still remains to be the coolest thing ever and okay. i didn't quite know and I, yeah, it wasn't until I was older, and I didn't start playing guitar until I was maybe 12 or 13. Uh, but that appeal really, that that rock and roll appeal was really where it started. And then I um, got really interested in the, in the 60s and 70s, the classic guitar players, Jimmy Page, Jimi Hendrix. Uh, and I spent a, a good amount of time when I was younger listening to those records, and it developed into... Um, an interest in jazz because where I live they had the at school you could play in the jazz band at school and I always wanted to take my guitar to school and so I was like okay well I guess I have to learn how to play in the jazz band and that started really my interest in jazz even in high school and it developed into an obsession from that point fantastic man fantastic mm -hmm. yeah I mean I like the way that uh the, the first thing is the is Guns N' Roses. I wasn't oh. expecting that. Joe. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. When I was a kid, man, I heard this Freddie Hubbard. I heard this solo, and you know, I just went and bought this jazz record, and then I just got jazzed and jazzed. And here you are starting off with with yeah. yeah no, that wasn't. I didn't get into jazz until I was maybe 16, 17, 18 years old. But then it really took a hold of me. Uh, right. At the time, when I had just finished high school, I actually went to university thinking I was going to be a geology major. Oh. <laughs> uh-huh. But the, chem the 8 a.m. chemistry classes were just too much. And at the time, I was working at the, uh, the local jazz club and restaurant, the Jazz Kitchen, washing dishes. And uh, I couldn't make the 8 a.m. calls for the chemistry class because I was always hanging out late in the club. And uh, getting it, being able to work in the back, I could come and sit in and listen to music. And so I was exposed uh, at, at that age a lot to the music, and it really inspired me. I met a lot of really great people and a lot of great professionals, not just professional jazz musicians, but guys that were jazz musicians and also professional businessmen. And uh, I was taught very young uh, about the value of the business, that you can play all these notes and it's great, but you have to you have to pay the rent. Absolutely, man. That's a lot. Of course, that's what I mean. We call the show Beyond Notes, and mm -hmm. that's that's really uh, the essence of it. Is that we all learn scales in arpeggios, and we practice, and we learn the vocabulary. But if we know nothing at all about what goes after that, or what's what what else is the expectation to work? Um, yeah, it it can be very difficult, right? I know a lot of great great players, man. Back home when I started, that uh, just uh, just never really ended up getting into the scene, getting into the circuit and, and working. Uh, how did you start then? If you were, um, 
coming up and studying? Uh, what were your first gigs like? Just local things, playing in bars and whatnot, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Well, sure. My first, my first couple of gigs, I had a, a a band in high school with some buddies, and we kind of got out a little bit and got our feet wet on the kind of coffee shop hang and a little odd gig here and there. And uh, working through college again, I kind of picked up a few random restaurant dinner kind of jazz trio sort of gigs, played a little bit of solo guitar as well. But then in 2002, uh, I took a semester off and went out to work in the cruise line industry with Carnival Cruise Lines in the show band. And that semester turned off, turned out to be uh, 18 years later, and I still haven't gotten back to, gotten back to school. I think that's the story for a lot of us, right, is that we, we got a gig during our school years. And then uh, we intended to go back and, and, and continue onwards. And uh, we just, we've been ever since, right? Out of high school and into the pros, baby. What do you do? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, now it's, I, I, I don't regret how it worked out. I, uh, however, I wish I would have finished it. Had I, had I have finished my trajectory would have been completely different and I wouldn't change my trajectory one bit. So I don't regret it. However, I, it, I should have finished at the time, but you know oh, what? No. Woulda, coulda, shoulda. Okay, no, I, great. I hear you, but I'm sure you'd agree the value of an education uh, as a young musician is, uh, at least when I came up, man, it was, uh, it was just life-changing for me. You know, I was studying privately and uh, I was doing okay, just really learning a lot. And my, my teacher, my guitar teacher, he, he was the one to suggest that you should just go to school and get a degree and, and really learn as much as you can. More so be in the environment with like-minded musicians, guys that uh, are, you know, are hungry mm -hmm. and are gonna end up getting gigs. Of course, that's where I met George. If I hadn't gone to school, I wouldn't have met George. Mm -hmm. I don't think we'd be on this call right now, actually. I don't know what, what uh, talk about life uh, tra trajectory. I'm not sure. Um, mm -hmm what would have happened. So definitely a school mm -hmm. thing, I'm sure you'd agree is, uh, or if it isn't in school, at least acquiring the knowledge is important, right? Well, the knowledge is important, but you'd hit the nail on the head, the environment. You can get the knowledge in the books. You can get the knowledge on YouTube. They have YouTube now, which when we were kids, they didn't, there was no such oh. thing as the interwebs and email. And we had to mm -hmm. learn. And with you, you had to buy two copies of the record, one to listen to, one to mess up because you'd go and you'd scratch little needles so it would re repeat and all this stuff when you're going to transcribe. And for me, I came up on basically on tapes and then CDs yeah. and having that luxury. So the music is there, but the environment and the, the people you meet while you're there at the school when you have these a whole semester long and then down the street there's a bass player down this down the road there's a drummer and you're able to get together with people on a regular basis people aren't paying rent so they're not worried about oh i got to rehearse what's the gig what's the bread like when are we going to be there and it's mm -hmm. a very rehearsal uh, a refer rehearsal friendly environment and yeah. also having the opportunity which we don't get as professional musicians to play a, with a lot of different people we're on the gig every night, so we kind of will be stuck with, not stuck with, but we will be performing every night with the same musicians for six months on end, a year right. on end, as opposed to when you're in college and every day you could play with someone different. Yeah, absolutely. The environment, mm -hmm. man, was integral uh, for, for at least for me, and I'm sure, I'm sure for, for you as well. Yeah, just being exposed to different musicians, different, different uh, circumstances and situations, being put on the spot. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I learned really, I learned really, really uh, uh, early in my career is that just because there's a, there isn't a guitar solo in this song, it doesn't mean at some point during the song, the singer might point to me and say, you know, play a solo. So, I mean, mm -hmm. I just tried to absorb everything and be, and be, 
be overprepared when I, when I first started doing gigs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's awesome, man. Um, so coming, coming from the gig thing, uh, you did a carnival cruise thing. Uh, uh, the cruise ships are, um, are, are, um, how, how'd you find working on the cruise ships, Joe? Well, they're I, not, they're not for everybody. Yeah. They're not for everybody. It depends on the person. It seems to me that either you love it or you hate it. And there are some people that, that can't stand being in a confined space and the rules and the name tag and the boat drill and do this and be here. Uh, and there's some people that that really bothers. Then there's other people where it's from, and I was one of those people where it's like, okay, I have a gig every night. I have four sets every night. And then later as I went into the jazz trio, I got to hire my own band and play whatever we wanted. So eventually got to the point where we had carte blanche on the, on the, on the room and I had somewhere to sleep I didn't have to pay for, and I had food that was free. And for me, it was heaven. It's like, well, what else do I need? There's plenty of places to practice. If I need to go out and stretch my legs, there's the beach on the port days. And uh, I'm very, very similar now that I was then that I would go out maybe a few times on each contract and take pictures and send them to my mom. And, hey, mom, look, we went to see the old thing with the old guy, and we had to do that. But the rest of the time, I'm – pretty much just in studying and practicing and working on creating art and trying to finish stuff or whatever it is I felt like I needed to do at the time. When it was with the jazz trio, it was uh, always constantly practicing to keep up with it. Since I got to hire the guys that I used, I, I hired, I would always, always try and swing, swing up, swing out of your league. So I would hire guys that, that I were way better than me. And so yeah. it would just be a constant effort of like, Holding on, I got to practice real hard all day today just to make it through the gig at night. And it, really, yeah. Really, that, that's, that's great, man. Yeah, you just, you just have to push yourself because you got to keep up. You hire these great guys to, to be in, in the band and uh, mm -hmm. you find yourself like, wow, I, I, need to, I need to practice more. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, so coming from the cruise ships, uh, is that when you, when you got into uh, touring overseas and joined L Live, Joe? That's when we met, Mikey. That was when, when fate <laughs> happened. In 2008, while the financial crisis was happening and the world was in ruins, we met alive, and the rest met, is history, baby. Yes, the rest is yes. history. We had George on last week. We had a great, we had a great hang, a great show. Uh, talked a lot about those early days. It was a days. great show. Yeah, thank you, thank you, and uh, yeah. So the L Live thing started, but you you joined, I, I think, in the beginning initially as as a guitar player, or did you join uh, as a band leader when you first came in, Joe? No, no, no. I joined as a guitar player, uh, and I think at the time in 2008 when the, the market was winding down, I knew they were cut, the, cutting the cruise ship gigs for the mm -hmm. jazz trios. I started looking for work for the trio and on just doing research online. I think I'd stumbled across the site, which now looking back, the site had all, was not very old, maybe six months a year. The, the, I came okay. in six months or a year right after it had, right. the company had started, and... Uh, I applied six months later. I got a random email and it said, hey, blah, we don't do jazz trio, but if you'd like to audition for uh, our group, uh, here are the requirements. And then uh, I, I said, I went ahead and I got the video and it was maybe five tracks that we had to play. And there was a description like here's a 30 second track of a funk. Now play your kind of popcorn style, play your chinka kind of style, play your wah funk style. And... Uh, I got that those instructions and uh, 
I was still in a very jazz mentality, but I've always been a businessman and always taken everything seriously. I got it, and I dropped everything I was doing, and then that next, that next, so that next day, I sent my audition tapes back, completed, so you know I wasn't kidding around, because I'm thinking, okay, first of all, when I came to the L Live website, I'm sure it's like everyone thinks, it's like, this is just a cattle call, and there's nobody really here, and this is... I don't know how I'm going to get seen out of this pile. So I always come at things like from that perspective of how am I going to make myself unique? How am I going to make the other person who's trying to hire? I need to make the people that are trying to hire me, make them think that they're a fool for not hiring me. Make them think that, that this guy is too good to be true and have the skill set to where it's undeniable. And uh, so I did the video, sent him in overnight, and uh, about a week later... We had a phone interview. I met you and George and Mark. We were uh, on a conference call, and then you and I, uh, we uh, followed up. And then six weeks later, I was uh, in Hong Kong. So it was a very fast procedure. And after I was hired, remember, we made a hundred, I made about 130 audition videos so where they would send me the track, Live would send me the track, and I would learn the song from memory, perform it with a video, and send it back for critique. And yes. uh, Mark at the time was my band leader. Shark, shout out Mark Lejoie. He's the, one of the greatest Zen masters that ever lived. Yes. Um, Watching, yes. And I would send the videos in, and Mark would, uh, uh, would type back with critiques and have notes. So then by the time when I arrived on the gig, I had all my music written out. Even though we don't use music on stage, I learned music best when I charted out. So I charted everything out, made myself little flashcards. So I, I was really stressing out over the gig. Which is good because it's good to be on your toes. But I it came as absolutely. Uh huh. You know, this in itself. You know, I, I speak a lot about uh, musicians and their reputations, and you know, when you, when their name comes up, and that's so important when someone a musician shows up to to a new gig, and they're they're just overly prepared. They're just so prepared. And I've had guys come in here, you know, uh, drummers, bass, whatever, uh, and just know everything. And I'm like, wow, like this guy, you can tell he really did their homework. And then other people that are just like, um, you know, you, you, I'm sure you've been through it as well. You know, oh, I, uh, I don't think I, I don't think you sent me that song, you know, <laughs> and you're there. And uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, we've had to deal with that. But um, that's something to, uh, to touch on also. I mean, just the fact that the preparation there, the, the willingness on your part to learn everything in advance, record it, like it was on video, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, video, and then send those in, and 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 someone's gonna actually take the time and go through all of that. I think mm -hmm. is, is is quite something in itself, Joe. Well, we have to prepare, especially in this business. We have to prepare for anything. There's mm -hmm. plenty of uh, plenty of times where you're gonna get a plane ticket, and when you get off that plane, you've got to go straight to the showers and to the locker room, and then go on stage. You might not know. Sometimes things happen that fast, and you have to be prepared. And yeah. not only being prepared, uh, taking the initiative to find a way. Oh, I didn't get that song. Oh, I didn't. Well, you know, we can play what it, we can play that all day. Oh, my interconnection of this, that, and the other. While you're busy going back and forth with that, somebody else is going to get the gig, mm -hmm. right? If like all I need is a song title, you want me to learn this song and this song, a song. I'll find the original. I'll find the key. I'll figure it out. Like that's that's part of being versatile is being able being completely prepared for any any situation yeah absolutely well said man yeah being for being professional and being being versatile and uh, it goes a long way man absolutely as a musician uh i've always uh, felt that 
in my own career and you know working with other younger musicians sometimes older and uh you know coming across both uh situations of people that are so on it people that that aren't as on it and um really very important very important so let me ask you joe um what was the first like you came on as a guitar player what was the uh, and you have like a really big skill set now what was the 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 the, the second skill set that you thought would be uh the most like the, the important to add i mean did you think as a guitar player hey i should i should start maybe i should dj maybe i should i should build a guitar maybe i should i should sing or um was that when you went maybe maybe you went to band leading right after I'm, i don't remember the the order but no uh and it's the, it's the thing that's in every musician who's watching this stream right now and watching this video it's the thing that's in the back of their mind that they know that they should do and they have a whole bunch of excuses for why they don't and that would be sing and learning a rep and getting comfortable on the mic and even if you think you can't sing learn how to rap because almost all of these yeah. songs have raps in them and mm -hmm. add more value to your craft. So even when I first joined as just a guitar player, Mark, uh, they, I had done some singing before in the jazz trio, but I didn't have a full rep. And it was very, un, it was very scary because the first band that I went into, Express, uh, was ridiculous. Uh, LaVance Colley is an incredible oh, wow. singer. Uh, Lilani Price, an incredible singer. Chris Bradley, mm -hmm. when I, I mean, this front line was a powerhouse. And so when you're like singing your little Margaritaville in front of these heavyweights, but here's the thing now, and I, I would think that you would agree with this, Mike, is that let's say when you're a guitar player and you're not an amazing singer and you go up in the show to sing and you may feel self-conscious around the other singers, realize that you are giving them a break. You are doing them a favor and they should be happy no matter how poorly you sing or what happens they should be encouraging because you're saving them you're adding a, a diversity in the show you're changing things up visually and you're giving their voice a rest no one is is entertaining enough to go out for four hours by themselves and entertain even two hours michael jackson didn't do it he had dancers he had pyro he had lights mm -hmm. uh, beyonce doesn't do it she's got a super huge band that the only people i think they can go out for one by themselves either the piano bar guys that sit and play solo or a stand-up comedian where it's just you've got to be entertaining by yourself so learning how to sing and then the singers that are around you cut them some slack right like okay i'm not ever going to sing like luther but you know what you don't have to sing this one so just smile and be encouraging even yeah. if it's questionable at times yeah yeah but i think you know you 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 find the right song the song that suits your voice right you absolutely. don't absolutely something that's like wow so what are your your vocal range or stylistically, you know, it has a lot of runs in it. You know, I remember, um, same thing. I, I was, uh, I was told, I wasn't asked, you know, I was told you have to sing next contract. It wasn't mm -hmm. like the sing next contract, Mike. It was like, you need to sing next contract. And I'm so glad that that was put on me because I would have made an excuse. Also, I would have mm -hmm. said, you know, oh, I, I don't want to sing. I, I can't sing. And now I'm, I love singing. I, I, mm -hmm. You know, I, and I just have my thing that I do, and um, I'm sure I'm sure for yourself as well, Joe. It's just it just gives you a whole other uh, means of uh, selling yourself. It's it's just this tool, you know. Uh, whether you play guitar or you're 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 a bass player, you know. If I have had drummers that man, it's really hard, and then they'll find someone else in the band that can just hold down the beat. They'll go up front, 
mm-hmm. and, and rap or do something, you know, and create a great moment in a show. And like mm-hmm. you said earlier, they, it adds value. Mm-hmm. It, it adds value. Do you want to have the, the, the drummer who's great and plays really well, the drummer that plays equally well, maybe even a little, a little under, but goes mm-hmm. up front two, three songs a night and, and does something special. Couldn't agree you know? more, Mike. Couldn't agree yeah. more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so here you are now. You're, you're, you're playing guitar and you're singing. And mm-hmm. I think the first time I remember anything about DJ is that there was a club in Vietnam, in Ho Chi Minh, mm-hmm. um, upstairs, beautiful restaurant. I don't oh. think, uh, uh, I've not been to Vietnam in quite a few years. I'm not sure if it's even still there. Ice um, cream buffet, you remember that? Oh, sushi. Oh, oh yes. Level 43 was the, cl- level 43? Is that right? I don't remember the name. I don't remember the name because I, I didn't work there, but I would go to uh, Ho Chi Minh every six months to set up a new band to, to have them mm-hmm. come here to first them. And I remember going there and I remember seeing you um, uh, DJing, but you, I think you also had your guitar mm-hmm. with you on stage, if I'm not mistaken. So was that the next thing in your evolution? Did you go like guitar, now I'm singing, and now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to DJ? Was that how it, it, it happened? Yeah, for the most part, uh, I was um, playing guitar and singing and did, played a couple more contracts in that capacity. And then I started uh, leading a band. And then at that point in time, uh, during that transition, I was learning about DJing and starting to get into it. That way, when I took over as band leader it was something I was able to start incorporating and the and the reason I kind of waited is because let's say if I was DJing uh, with the band and I was not the band leader and then that became an integral part of their show if I went to another band then they would take a big part of their show out and that's something that's very important for all of us to keep in mind is that you can't have a show built too much on that one person in the event that they go somewhere else However, when you're the band leader, where you go, everybody, all the band goes. So I was able to, when I became band leader, start experimenting around with the idea of DJing with a live band. And essentially, uh, when you would say, well, what does that mean? Uh, the obvious thing would be adding the basic extra little noises like the me, 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 the foghorn and adding some scratches for, uh, uh, for uh, accents, etc. But... The main thing that I was focused on when I first started with the band was playing the tracks because uh, you guys went over it last week when you're talking about smooth and there's a hundred tracks for smooth and you've got to play with a track. And at the time, this was the mid 210s, 2010, 2012, everything was electro. Everything was David Guetta EDM with these huge sounds, these huge kicks. No matter what you do, when you have keyboard, bass, drums, guitar, you're not going to get that sound. So I thought, well, let's get the original tracks and then I will play the tracks out of my DJ controller and we will figure out ways to uh, mix the two songs together, okay? So we would go verse, chorus of this song and then instead of going back to the original verse of that first song, that would be the point where we might switch to the verse of the next song and then I could blend them together seamlessly and that way uh, we could play nonstop if we needed to. And now it's not necessary. If you start just playing song after song after song after song, start jukeboxing them, that's not how it works. You have, the show has to breathe. It has to go in and out. So there might be times where we would play a song, play a song, play a song, and then our singer might uh, decide that she wanted to uh, talk to the crowd. Then I can just turn the loop on. So then we would have uh, a live track that could go underneath us. Let's say, for instance, someone missed their verse. 
Okay, no problem. Let me just cue it back and we, when we can make that adjustment. And that's something you can't do with just a regular track where you play it and it plays start okay. to begin. Yeah. So okay. we can make the track a little bit more malleable. Absolutely, man. That's great. So were you using a, using a sampler or you were, you were like using a, the, the DJ? Um, how, how are you doing that exactly? I was using tractor and a tractor control, which is a controller. So just a very basic DJ setup, a left, right deck. Right. So song one and song two with a crossfader in the middle. Okay. And uh, I didn't start getting into using the sampler until maybe three or four years ago when I bought my first MPC. And that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother thing that, that musicians need to get together and look into is what is an MPC and what can it do for you and what can it do for your practicing, what it can do for your creativity, your beat making. It's a portable workstation that not many musicians understand the power of the new MPC equipment, and it's amazing. It's been around for uh, for quite some time now, right? I mean, mm -hmm. that came out, uh, wow, was that the 80s or? or uh... A late 80s, early 90s, maybe. Mm -hmm. But within the last uh, two or uh, the, last, the last version of it, the MPC Live and the MPC X, they have they've opened it up to a digital audio workstation, meaning or a DAW, and so you can yeah. import entire right. songs as opposed to the original MPC where you could just grab little snippets of it right. and program beats. The new MPCs work work uh, just like a, a, a digital audio workstation as well as the uh, the traditional MPC function. Okay. It's almost like having Pro Tools or Logic right, right there, right there with you. Absolutely on. in standalone mode, meaning I don't need my computer. I can just turn around, turn it on, and I can, if I need to do a multi-track kind of Pro Tools GarageBand style session, I can do that. If I want to go and record guitar, record bass, and then finger drum my beat or sample something, anything you can imagine, you can execute it with this piece of standalone gear. Okay. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. I mean, I've heard of these machines, obviously, but. Uh uh i i you know if, if you put one in front of me i wouldn't know how to i wouldn't even know how to turn it where's the on button right right yeah Plug in. yeah i remember those from uh what was the the guy uh, uh jay dilla jay dilla jd that that's right that originally and then kind of mm. uh took off the quantization part of it mm. and started yeah. to get that whole thing where the music's kind of you can kind of be out of be out of time and uh mm -hmm. something i honestly never really got but uh hey it's it's music. It's it's creative, and uh, you know, mm -hmm. if people like it. That's 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 super cool. Mm -hmm. Okay, wow. So um, the technology thing. You how do you feel? I mean, uh, did you ever think coming from you know here you are you know just figuring out some jazz licks or you know uh, uh, some 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 guitar things to to the point where now you're singing, uh, now you're programming, now now you're you're DJing. I mean, encompass, encompassing so many different uh, aspects. Of, uh, of the music industry. I think it's, uh, it's, it's quite something, man. I mean, um, well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it really, it's quite something. And I know the guitar thing, because I know up on the wall behind you, we'll talk, mm -hmm. we'll get there in a little while, are guitars that you actually uh, designed, had designed mm -hmm. uh, yourself, right, Joe? That's right. The, the green ones on the top are the two green ones, that two green ones and the one you can barely see. Those are my design. That's the, the J, the JP 3000, the JP 40 and the JP 3000. Uh -huh. Those okay. are designed uh, guitars that I designed uh, for an endorsement deal that I had. I was I designed a line of guitars for um, an OEM manufacturer in China uh, called Avant Garde Guitars, and they manufactured them. And the idea was to 
have them manufactured. I'll bring them over here and set them up and get them just right and see about uh, selling, uh, importing, exporting some instruments. And we're still working on it. It's a slow process, especially right. now with uh, COVID and uh, the we there. Everything is up in the air, but it's the dream has never died and. There's plenty of more room for guitars down here. For someone my size, my height, and my weight, and my age, I'm about at least 10 guitars under the ideal amount. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Just keep the guitars, the, you have to get more wall space, right, to, to, yeah. to put more of them up. Yeah. yeah. But what was, the, uh, what was the inspiration behind that? Were you, like, dissatisfied with the guitars that are on the market? Like, did you... I'm sure you've picked up the most beautiful, beautiful guitar ever on the planet, a Stratocaster made by Leo Fender. I'm going to like, I, uh, <laughs> man, you know, I'm not, it's hard for me to argue that point. It really is because I love strats. And the reason I love strats is because of how they sound more than mm -hmm. anything. Uh, and kind of to segue into the initial question. However, everybody plays a strat, Mike, everybody looks the same playing a strat. You know I what know. I mean? There's no individuality. I don't care how much you scratch it up. It's still a Strat. And it's still a Strat, yeah. But it's, I, still, I, it's still somebody else's guitar, man. Jimmy, it's not going to ever be associated yeah. with like. And no. so my desire to, to include the aesthetics, and um, it was inspired by a mandolin uh, with the, the F-style mandolin with the yeah, scroll the style. The, and the, 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 the way the bout is kind of curled. Uh, right. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And I always I loved Prince's cloud guitar. But then if I got a cloud guitar, I'd be like, hey, look, the dude's playing on a Prince guitar yeah, and right. I don't want to be a Prince clone. And so there was a lot of it was an aesthetic thing and for a lot of a lot of um, reasons. And uh, there are a lot of great guitars on the market. However, I think that they're oh, overpriced. And especially now that I've been to China and I've been to the factories and I know what these things cost. Yeah. I, I'll never go back even to spend $500 on a Mexican Telecaster, which are great instruments. And, but it's, you're looking at a hundred dollars worth of, it costs a hundred bucks to make and that kind of markup. And then it's just what would, what $500 would get you in China. It would blow your mind. Yeah, of course. It would blow your mind. You could get a custom guitar made for five hundred dollars in China. Yeah, I probably would. I mean, no, I was, I was kind of kidding. I was just kind of. I know you. We've joked about this before. Mm -hmm. and I think every time I put a picture anywhere, you're, you're like, oh, is it, I, it's Mike's playing a Strat again. Wow. There's, oh, there's, there's one. There's a Strat there. It's, it's, it's not a, it's know, not a Fender. It's not I a know. Fender, but it's a Strat. Okay. I love it. No, I, I play different guitars coming up, man. I mean, my first electric guitar was, was a Telecaster. Oh, okay. And uh, I had a J45. I had a beautiful Gibson J45 in acoustic. Ooh, uh, acoustic. Unfortunately, sold it years ago, foolishly. I had a Gibson uh, e, e, uh, ES3. Anyway, I had different guitars. I just always fall back on the strats. And it's just because uh, for me, it's just they're a workhorse. Oh, you, you no doubt. When you play six nights a week, uh, Joe, <laughs> you know. Uh, you know, the story goes that, you know, what's his name? Uh, Pete Townsend started playing strats and he stopped playing strats because he couldn't break them. Mm -hmm. you know, it was part of, part of the show. They break their equipment at the end of the end of the night. And he yeah. had so much trouble breaking a strat. He just, I'll, uh, I'll switch. They're, also, they're great guitars and they sound great and they feel yeah. great. And workhorse is a great way to a great, they're the, the are, traditional, yeah. the, the great American utility, Swiss utility knife for guitar. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, much so. And I, I'm just, I'm just biased. It's what I came up with, mm -hmm. and 
I'm just kind of stuck on them. And at this point in my career, I don't know uh, if I'll ever, you know, switch. Mm -hmm. but, uh, I think it's very cool. You, 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 set, you set, the, set the guitars up, your own kind of company and everything, mm -hmm. and uh, have your own models. And uh, it, I guess it's challenging uh, trying to uh, market them and then get them, get them uh, I mean, how, how does that work where you try and get the word out on, on your guitars that you have your own line of guitars? And is it basically a word of mouth? Well, it's exactly it's exactly the same thing as if you make a record and you have a record label or you don't have a record label. So I basically have a record and no record label, and so uh, it's just what what whatever me and the team can do. I'm still uh, in the development phase. I haven't had a full batch made. I've had several several sample batches made, but I, as far as getting a half a container, I don't even have. I haven't. We're not there to that point yet, but then once uh, once I do get stock and they're ready to go, I'm gonna see how it what it's gonna look like to uh, go independent and do it in the trenches and go word of mouth one at a time. Because if the price is right, I'd like to get them around five hundred dollars, and if they set up and they play themselves, and uh, we'll see if there's a demand. But I think that I really do think there is a demand, especially for that particular design. Uh, there are people that like the F, the mandolin, the the callback to the mandolin. But I think there's also a, there's still um, there's a community of guitar players that are looking for stuff that they don't have in their collection yet. And uh, there's people are especially after the this uh, lockdown, the instrument sales are through the roof. If you go down to the guitar center or the Sam Ash, the walls are bare. And there's so people are still buying instruments and the guitar as much as we think it might be dead people yeah. it's still the most popular instrument. Yeah, absolutely. And that leads me to uh, the teaching thing because I know that's another thing on your on your resume here uh, that we haven't uh, touched on yet. You, you also teach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I haven't done any teaching since uh, university, which was 2002. But then when I came home. And I got back here in July, in January. We were in China. We got 24 hours to leave. And George, I could, can kudos to George for making that decision to pull all the guys out of China. I know it was a very hard decision. And I remember when it happened. I was in China with with um, SARS and MERS and all these other things. I just assumed it, that this was another one of those things that was just going to come and go and blah blah blah. I didn't think anything of it. And I didn't realize anything was going to happen. And then I got this call over the weekend uh, in that day in January, like, hey, it's getting bad. We need to get you guys out, pack up. And then the next week they shut the borders and it was it was really a close call. Not to mention it took us what did it take us, Mikey, four months to finally get everybody settled, settled. I mean, some people got stuck because their country was closed and it really became a logistical challenge. But had George not made that call right away, it would have been 10 times worse. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I was, I was almost slightly surprised that we decided to do that when we, when we did it, because I honestly thought as I'm sure a lot of other people, Joe, like uh, it's an overreaction, you know, we've mm -hmm. lived through things before and absolutely my goodness, who would have ever known that look where we are now we're we're, we're almost the end of July and it's just, mm -hmm. It's not like um, it's finished for the time being, at least. And a lot of us are still uh, waiting to go back, go back to work and stuff. So, so I guess when you went back home, you thought that would be a, a good way to try to, to uh, generate some extra revenue, some income is, is, is to start teaching again. Well, more so than the revenue, I was interested in testing the waters in the market to see what it would look like here and what 
living like a, what being working as a professional musician in Indianapolis, what it would what it would take. I haven't lived here in Indianapolis full time since 2005. And at that time, uh, before the financial crisis, the market was in a bubble. So there were gigs. There were a lot of gigs. And I thought that's I didn't I didn't realize how saturated or how many gigs there were and how great of a time it was. Uh, and then the economy crashed and then there were no gigs. So I came back here and I'm thinking that everything hadn't shut down yet for lockdown. I had maybe six, eight weeks before the lockdown. And so since I'd been through it in China, I was preparing for it here. So when I came back, I was kind of in that in mentality of, okay, things might get bad here. We might get locked down. I should look ahead and prepare. And uh, in the event that in the future I wanted to come home, I don't want to come home to nothing. And to come home and not know anybody, not have anywhere to work, having to work at wherever will hire me as opposed to what can I do to develop relationships in the time that I'm here and have off. And that way I have something for the future. And it just so happens there's a great school down the street uh, and they offer band lessons. They offer bass, drums, guitar, vocals, strings and DJing. And I saw they were looking for teachers. They were looking for guitar teachers. And then in the next column, I saw they were looking for drum or for DJ teachers. And I'm thinking, well, you know, this city is full of guitar players. This world is full of guitar players. And I bet you there got there are so many great players in town here that are that they won't have anybody finding having a hard time finding anybody to teach guitar. However, do they have a guy who can teach guitar and DJ and coach the bands and bass and that was the whole point of this conversation, the interview that we're having, is that Absolutely. if your skill sets are wide and you mm -hmm. have to make someone think they're a fool for not hiring you because you're coming with so much of a value add. And so I got lucky. On, I, they hired me. I went to work with them, uh, just teaching maybe two days a week. And uh, this summer I've been doing their summer camps as well. So we've had a couple of summer camp during the week of DJ and Last week we had a band camp. This week we had a DJ camp as well. So, and it's a very nice facility. It's a mom and pop run organization. It is a franchise, Bach to Rock, but uh, the family that runs it are beautiful people and everyone works there is very cool. And the facility's top notch. They've got gear and they've got a band room and a stage and lights and the DJ room has three turntable setups. And it's it's been a really great, uh, a great way to uh, get to know more people here in town and get back to educating because we don't think about it. Well, I'm sure the musicians realize that teaching is a great way to improve yourself as a musician. Even yeah. going back to the lesson number one, guitar number one, hold the guitar like this. And if you get super critical about that and you can take that seriously, you can get just as much benefit out of that as you can teaching someone some harmonic something harmonically complex yeah and um you agree more man yeah yep mm -hmm. and that's yeah. actually the funny thing kind of want to add to this the newest thing over there in the school has been ukulele for grandmas so we are playing we're teaching a class once a week they call it ukulele for grandmas so it's not politically incorrect but once a week i have a group of five grandmas come in and i'm teaching them how to play ukulele and they're yeah. about a week behind me because I'm just a couple of pages ahead in the book. But it's been, it's been going great. And who knew uh, one. And then one of the teacher or one of the students had mentioned the fact that there's no mountain dulcimer instructor in Carmel. 
You should get a mountain dulcimer and teach mountain dulcimer lessons. And I'm thinking, yeah, I know what a mountain dulcimer is. I don't have one. I've never played one. But yeah, I should learn mountain dulcimer because there's a market there. And I can sp share music with more people. It's awesome. Awesome, man. I can't say how impressive it is, man, really to hear you. The Thank way you, you speak about these things and your mindset is just, what else can I do? Uh, what else can I learn? What else can I add to my skill set and make myself more and more relevant? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and sharing the knowledge as well, man, I think is a beautiful thing. I mean, teaching, I know to a lot of musicians is like, yeah, just teach a kid a couple of chords. And, but um, I've always thought it's quite something, you know, you can, you can be a teacher, you can be a mentor at the same time, because, mm -hmm. you know, learning any skill, it, it requires a certain mindset and certain discipline involved and to impart that on someone that's young uh coming up because you know we've had to do it just to get to where we, we we've gotten we've had to spend a lot of hours just you know uh, practicing and, and the discipline thing and just learning songs and you know everything that it, what it takes to be a professional i think is also a really a wonderful thing man to be able to to, uh, to pass that on to someone else you know mm -hmm. teach, i agree i mean yeah yeah super cool man wow wow and um I'm trying to think what else your list is long, man. Yeah. The teaching thing, the guitar thing, the, so the teaching thing came up. Um, I wound up getting a, a job at a church here as well. Uh, as their sound guy, um, they are since the lockdown, one of the churches has been giving teleconference services using a regular telephone. And, um, I was the only guy in the band that was able to understand or was, had the, the technology and the wherewithal to be able to figure out how we can stream music onto their regular telephone conference call through Skype, routing the audio in. So that turned into something. At the beginning of the month, I had a solo gig um, where it was acoustic guitar and voice for three hours. And it was all the hits, Sweet Caroline, Margaritaville, Sweet Home Alabama, all the hits just back to back to back to back. And my that's, as a jazz guitar player, um, I'm, there was a good point my, uh, of my career that I did not pay attention to that skill set. Yeah. And I thought it was silly. And I didn't yeah. think it was, I thought anybody could do it. And now, I realized that was not the case 15 years ago when I lived here in 2005. I re I've known that for a long time. And it's been my on my list of agenda of things to get together. And um, I had to call come in for this gig. I had two weeks. And uh, I looked at it and I thought, okay, here's this assignment. And this, this guy is going to hire me. And he's an expert uh, and, and putting together shows and sets, much the same way we are with L Live and how we build our shows and putting the first band together. He was willing to coach me through it. And I thought, now's the better time than any to get this act together. So I worked uh, like about eight hours a day for two weeks preparing for this gig of just strumming guitar and singing for like three hours, right? And it was the hardest thing that I've ever done, the hardest I've ever worked on a gig. Like physically, when you're, you're the only one there, no tracks, no nothing. And it was... It, yeah. it took, I had to stand on my tippy toes in the farthest of my reach and my ability to make it happen. And I was so glad that I did. And the gig went over well. And now I have this, all these solo tunes that I can go out right now and perform that I didn't have before that. And um, then another thing that came out this, this month was I finally, 
uh, on the list of things that I've been meaning to get to, finally got a job as a wedding DJ. So I'm working for a company hosting and emceeing and DJing weddings. And actually, I have a wedding tonight, and I had one last week, week before. And okay. their schedule, it's, I just started a couple of weeks back. They obviously need me. They kind of fast-tracked me through the training. Luckily, all of my L-Live skills have come into play along all of this. The idea of being flexible, of singing, the idea of uh, proper planning, knowing how to command a microphone, how to put on a show, all of the skills that I've learned from George, which, by the way, George is the master, one of the masters of entertainment. Uh, he understands how everything works in terms of how to run a band, how to ca capture a crowd's inter uh, attention and what needs to happen in a show. I learned like 80% of what I know from you guys between George and Mike and watching other the uh, George and Mike and Mark and watching the other videos, the other bands and really paying attention and all of those skills. So when it came to time to do wedding DJ, I don't need to, I know how to put turn gear on. I know how to introduce people. I've been doing it for years on the microphone with L live. I know how to be funny. I know how to plan an event. Uh, being a band leader with with you guys for so long, there have been plenty of special events, plenty of New Year's Eve, plenty of any kind of agenda where you're like, here's the schedule, here's what we're doing, you got to be here. All that stuff was second nature to me. So being able to walk into that situation, see it done once, okay, I can do it. And that that's the newest thing. And so far, that's the thing that I've invested the little, the least amount of energy in since I've been home, and it's yielded the biggest return, biggest reward. Like and when I say time. the amount of energy I've put into it, it didn't take uh, eight hours a day of two weeks of preparation to be oh, able to yeah. go out in that dig. I, I may be prepared. I would say honestly, I spent four hours preparing for it before I went out to see the first gig, to train on the first gig. So then that way, after the four hours of research, I knew what was supposed to happen in a wedding who's supposed to go where, what says what. So when I went to see it, I knew what I was seeing. I wasn't seeing it for the first time. And my notes were were very accurate in what I I'd envisioned in my head by the time that I got to the event and saw it happen. I wasn't, I, I was able to track the whole thing and figure it out. Fantastic, man. Fantastic. The, the experience from being out in the road and, and working with, with, the, with L Live and uh, the, that's a skill set you can, you can keep for life. That's right. Like that's right. That's right. That's right. Awesome. Awesome, Joe. A couple of people are saying hi. A couple of people you might know. Oh. Frank Tank. Frank, Frank the Tank, what's up? Guitarland. Guitarland's in the house. Yes. Guitar did Land he ever get a guitar? I know he got stuck out in Thailand and didn't have did, a guitar. He did, he did he get a guitar. While, okay. For a while, he was guitarless. And oh. as a guitar player, that's rough, man. Especially when you have, like, okay, let's see, I have an extra uh, 16 hours today. Right. <laughs> so an extra six months. Yeah, and I have no guitar. Yeah. Um, Rosie's here. Rosie, I don't know if you know Rosie. She's newer to our company. How are you, Rosie? Thanks for coming Hi, Rosie. Thanks uh, for being Chris here. Harden. Chris Harden. Hi, Chris. Okay, I'm talking about your friend of yours. Uh, Cesar, Cesar Ramirez. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I met, I've met Cesar several times. He was in Hanzhou. I think several. No, I guess maybe just in Hanjo we met him, but we met in Hanjo and then he wound up joining Alive and went and spent some time in Beijing. Right on, right on. Uh, Julie Murphy, I know you know Julie Murphy. Oh no, Julie Murphy. 
Oh, yes. Shout out to Julie Murphy, y'all. She does so much behind the scenes for us. She was she was really a big help uh, when I started getting into the DJ thing and especially the band leading thing and trying to uh, come up with concepts of bands because she's one of those she's a total head she's she's got a huge library of in her mind of all the songs and the hits and she has been on stage i saw her perform when the night george retired she was there she's a boss on stage she knows music she knows style and fashion she's the total package and uh she's done such a great job of helping to coach the younger people coming in and I just can't say enough things about nice things yeah, about Julie. As I, as I, I can't say enough about her. She's helped us so much. And uh, she, she's really, she's like an icon. I, I said it, I, we had a meeting last week and there was a lot of us online. And I had to say, you know, uh, she was so integral when we first came to Asia to, to just propelling everything forward and uh, helping us be successful for sure. Mm -hmm. And uh, some guy named George is also on. And he's some no guy named George. Oh. Should have fired me when you had the chance, buddy. Husband, of course, George is. I on love you, George. I love you, man. Thank you for thank you for all you've done for me and for this company and all the L livers. We appreciate it, man. Thank you very much. I hope to make you proud. Thank you, Joe. Uh, Leroy, Leroy's on. I think Leroy. Leroy. Yeah, uh, Leroy. Christina, do you know Christina? Ah, uh, Cherry Tina. Oh, she's a gem. Yeah, I love you, Cherry Tina. What's up, ma? She's yeah. a great singer, great performer, and above that, all that, she's got a great attitude. She's just a pleasure to work with. Even I if she's sick, you would never know. Great. I'm sorry. Yeah. I the, the A was going to – never mind. Oh, oh, no, she's got a great attitude. That's what I, that's yeah. what I meant to say. Yep, she's – yeah, she's a she, – yeah. Get your head out of the gutter, Mikey. Sorry about giving that. the girl a compliment. No, I know. That's a great compliment. Yeah, she, mm -hmm. she was just here with me. She was here with me when we got locked down. Oh, okay. And spent, she spent, you know, the band was here two months waiting to, to go back to work, of course. That's which, right. So they, 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 she's back in Ukraine now. Thanks for coming on, Tina. Uh, Luna is here. Luna from Venezuela. Oh, hi, Luna. Thanks Hola. for coming on. My buddy Gota. I want to do a whole thing, but I won't. There's the whole thing I do whenever I see him, and it has to do with football and scoring a goal. Thank you for coming on, my brother, uh, Oba Hyacin. Oba, oh, he's a beast. One of the greatest ever to do it, especially in Asia. This guy. Have you worked with? Have you heard or seen? I've not. I never had a chance to work with Oba, oh. but I've heard of him. Man, he's he's a one. He's as good as they come as far as entertainer. This guy puts on a show like nobody's business. Awesome, awesome. Thanks for coming on and saying hi, Oba. Uh, Kia Brand. Oh, hi, Kia. Kia Brand. And our sound man, Han. Han oh, Han, my man. Where is Han now? Han, I, he must be here in Singapore, I'm assuming, because he's Singaporean. And, uh, you know, no one's traveling. And, of course, we're not performing. And um, I'm not sure if he's working at all here because everything else is pretty much um, closed. Yeah, but he's a great sound guy. Great set of ears. And, yeah. Hey, Han. He's helped me a lot. So uh, mm -hmm. thanks for coming on and saying hi. Um, yeah, some shout outs there first. It's really nice. Thanks, guys, for coming on. If you have any suggestions for uh, topics, if you have any questions, uh, please put them in the uh, in the chat here. Um, Joe, it's so good to have you on. And there's one other thing that I saw in my notes that mm -hmm. I had to ask you about. And it said that you DJed at a funeral. 
Oh yeah. Well, it was it was the, it was the reception after the funeral. I didn't actually do the funeral, but it was after. And uh, yeah, I got a call for that. That was one of the first calls when I when I got back. And um, when oh, I got yeah. home, I didn't have any uh, PA gear here, any speakers, and I went back and forth and debated whether or not I should get a PA. And I got home and I bought one of the Bose L1, the line array. Uh, right. And it's a good thing I did because that gig, I got that gig maybe a week later. I got a call. Hey, do you have a sound system? Can you DJ a funeral? Well, as a matter of fact, I do, and I'll see you then. Yeah. Wow, that's that's uh, different. That's it different. was. And yeah, you don't see an, an, on just anyone's resume. Yes, DJ at a funeral. I saw it in my notes, so I, I really wanted to uh, to, to bring it up, man. Mm -hmm. um, listen, it's great uh, having you on and. Uh, very entertaining to have you on and very, very uh, informative, very enlightening to see how you've really gone from playing guitar to doing so many different things, Joe, and still, still today, still, still learning and still, you know, uh, growing as, as an artist, as a musician, as a person. Very inspiring, man. Thank really. you very much, Mike. And thanks for having me on. It's been a great, My great pleasure. to talk to you. We don't oh. ever get to see each other, Mike. That's a problem with... When you're working every night, you never get to see your friends' bands. Like maybe you get to say hi when they're going out the door, but yeah. I'm never gonna see. You know, you're always on the gig in Singapore, and I'm never gonna yeah. get to play Singapore, right? Yeah, that's all right. Oh, you will. <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm ever gonna get to play Singapore at this point. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll yeah. see. We'll take see. It, take it a lot longer than expected, but I'm very, very uh, encouraged. Uh, it's it's busy here. Everybody's back out. The restaurants are open. I just went out today, just just this evening, to pick up a couple of things, and uh, it's life. There's life. It's wonderful to see, man. You know, people are out. <coughs> Excuse me. You still have to wear a mask in the street. Social social distancing. So I'm very very hopeful that um, in time, in, in you know, we'll we'll move, of course, to that next uh, step. Maybe progressively less people in the club. Uh, maybe you know. Uh, adjusted hours, operational hours, maybe we'd open earlier and close earlier. Um, so I'm, I'm very hopeful and I, it's gonna come. I mean, you know, this, this thing can't last forever. So um, I'm staying, staying very positive about it. Joel, let me ask you, I ask all my guests um, before, before we wrap it up, I wanna ask you this question. I also want to uh, plug next week's show because I have a very special guest coming on. Gary Schwartz uh, was one of my professors when I was in university, uh, George as well studied really? uh, with Gary and uh, I asked him to come on and uh, I'm so happy he's going to come on because uh, he still teaches. He's still at the university. So I've got so many questions about, of course, the, the state of, uh, of uh, learning today and uh, he's mm -hmm. doing, he was doing the jazz program and, and whatnot. And uh, so uh, please tune in next week, next Friday to, uh, to watch that. Gary's going to come on uh, on Beyond Notes next week. And, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he has to say about uh, how he sees the future of university uh, with online exactly. uh, yeah. and what could the university start to become less and less of a thing moving forward yeah. in the future, which that yeah. I mean, that's uh, uh, maybe a lot of people don't couldn't imagine how that could work out. But at the same time, I sure can if university costs $30,000 a year now and imagine if you're trying to become a musician and if you want to go to New York and you rack up two hundred thousand dollars in debt and then go playing fifty dollar gigs, 
Yes, the universe, uh, yeah. definitely, definitely. Uh, it's a whole new, whole new landscape we're living in now. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, man. Yeah, I'm sure the, mm -hmm. I'm sure the dynamic has changed, and what their teaching has changed. And, uh, um, yeah, curious. A lot of questions. So tune in next week, and I'm gonna have Gary Schwartz come on. Uh, before we wrap it up, I always ask my guests the uh, desert island thing, and you may remember that because it used to be called when I was a kid. It was there was a desert island pick. Uh, as in you're stranded on a desert island and you have, you can take three, uh, three albums, but I've changed it to uh, three artists. So um, there you are. You're on the island with Wilson, you know, the basketball. This is the time. Because ah. I love that movie, Joe. I, I love okay. it. I've watched that movie probably, I don't know how many times. Love it. Yeah. And then one of this guy falls this device into your lap. Mm -hmm. And you're like, wow, this thing streams music, but you could only right. get three artists. Three artists yeah. That's, you only pick three, and then it's 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 yeah. just you know it locks on those three artists. So, mm -hmm. what, what would you, what, who would you choose? What do you think? Well, Mike, I'm not gonna lie. I watch your show almost every week, and so I I've seen you ask everybody's <laughs> question. So of course I got a short answer. Um, and I don't have to look very far. I would probably say the first one would be Charlie Parker, and uh, and then Wes Montgomery. And um, the third would be Jay Dilla, uh, for sure. Wow. Um, I, I view Jill, Jay Dilla in the same in the same category as I do the jazz heavyweights. Everything he did with sampling to playing the MP3 like an instrument, um, and and to say Jay Dilla is such a broad spectrum of music and including so many samples. So then I can kind of like I can say art like I can say JJ Jilla, but then I get samples of all these other great artists too, right? So it's kind of a, a sneaky way to get more than three artists. Um, great way, great way, man. Yeah, I but I, but it would I, yeah it would be Bird, West Montgomery, and um, and Jay Dilla. And if I was gonna have two other ones, it'd probably be like somebody like Alan Holdsworth and maybe Debussy. Okay. Okay. It's a modern have, influence. The, uh, I I I really saw the West coming, and I saw the Charlie Parker. I didn't see the the, the, the Jay Dilla, but after speaking to you about the uh, the the uh, uh, MPC, mm -hmm. uh, I think it was the three thousand that he used, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, yeah. I'm going to look more into. I can just go in and stream it and listen. You know, mm -hmm. uh, the only thing that, that that throws me with that is is I know that it was a whole thing to take the quantization off and then, but then to have the beat, you know, and uh, I hear that on, on, uh, on a couple, you know, on uh, Maxwell, I think had an Albert D'Angelo or Questlove that does that. And I've had drummers come here and uh, you know, not on the gig, not on a top 40 know, gig where there's a track. No, don't, whatever you do, don't do that. Bro, like, please, they're trying to dance. It's already hard enough to get them to, you know they can't clap on two and four as it is. Now you're gonna try and displace the 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 kick and this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's the only thing I I I never really got with that, and I I still struggle. I really I'm just very uh, groove oriented. Groove being you can be ahead of the beat, behind the beat, but when you're off off the grid that much, Main that Street, just, Main Street, that, yeah. That that thing happening, but a great answer, man. I, I wouldn't have. Um, I wouldn't have expected those. Joe, thank you very much for coming on, man. You've been a great guest and uh, continued success. And uh, I really hope we do get to hang out again, man, it's, at some you, man. point, whether it's in Singapore or maybe in Vietnam, or I'm mm -hmm. not sure if I'm ever going to make it to Indianapolis, to be honest. Mm -hmm. uh, with, I, don't, yeah, I understand. Not that I, not that I wouldn't like to, to, to visit. Not that I wouldn't like to visit. It's just, I just, I don't know if, um, 
I'd ever, I'd ever get to go there unless I was coming specifically to visit you. Mm -hmm. And I'm probably going to be on the road, so you can stay hang with my mom. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. Right. that's right. Say, Mike, look, man, I'm, yeah, uh, so I won't be there, but yeah. I got some friends there you can hang, you can go and uh, hang out with. Yeah. Yeah. It's a guitar right. town for sure. Well, thanks awesome. for having me, Mike. It's been a pleasure and an honor to come and visit with you guys. And Thank you so much for coming on, man. And we'll see you guys next week on Beyond Notes Tune. We're going to have Gary Schwartz come on. It's going to be a very, very informative show. Until then, take care of yourself. Stay safe. We'll see you guys next week. A big shout out to our producer, as always, Omar. Thank you for helping out. And once again, thanks to, to Joe P. Thank you so much, brother. Thank take you, care, Mike. man. Thank you. 